this week on Dig Me Out. On almost all of these songs, there's a point in there where the, even the band themselves sounds bored with the songs. Tim and Jay review American Graffiti by Flipper. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Timonichi, and joining me, as always, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, it's episode 199, 199, our fourth season of this particular podcast, and we're going to go in a slightly obscure direction, Jay. Are you alright with that? I sure am. Alright, good. It's kind of what the show's about, right? It is. I picked a band. Uh, well, I picked a lot of the recent bands based on, you know, them having new releases out. And we recently did Stoner Witch by Melvins. And one of the bands that came up while I was reading about the Melvins as an influence on the Melvins was a band called Flipper. And I remember hearing the name Flipper throughout the years, but never a band that I checked out. Just never had an inclination to do so. And then I recently read a book called No Slam Dancing, No Stage Diving, No Spikes by Amy Yates Wolfling and Stephen D. Lodovico, I think is how, D. Lodovico. Um, and it's basically, it's about a, a nightclub or a, or a bar in Trenton, New Jersey called City Gardens. And it was a legendary club in the 80s and then into the 90s where all sorts of bands played the ramones played there like 20 times uh all the west coast punk bands like um circle jerks and the other ones that i can't think of that are in my oh brad religion those sorts of bands and then east coast punk bands and then they had a lot of uh they were a very early band on doing like a dance night that was a, sort of an all-inclusive dance night. There was no, like, they would play all kinds of music, and it was the first to open up to um, gay and lesbian youth to have a place to go to and sort of not be ostracized by uh, other, I guess you'd say, straighter clubs. Uh, they were uh, pretty revolutionary in a lot of aspects. And Flipper was a band that got mentioned in the book. So I was reading the book, Flipper Comes Up, who where we review uh, the Melvin's, Flipper comes up as a reference, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to throw Flipper into the pool of bands to review. And they only put out one album in the 90s, so we're reviewing the one lone album by Flipper, which is called American Graffiti. Jay, were you familiar with Flipper? No, was not. What a horrible band name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, not at all. Never heard the name until... Uh... Until I looked at the schedule for the uh, the next show. I actually thought, I, I'd heard the name before, and for some reason, I thought that they were more of a like an electronic band. Hmm. I don't know why, but I, I thought that they were like in the same vein as like Ministry or sort of like Industrial, but I was hmm. completely wrong about that. Yeah. So, since neither of us are very familiar with Flipper, let's talk about some history of the band. History of the band. So, the band formed in San Francisco, California in 1979 
Uh, the founding members were original vocalist, vocalist Ricky Williams, who is credited for um, naming the band, although he was fired before the band did any recordings. Um, Bruce Luz and William Shatter went on to become the uh, main vocalists and uh, bassists. Ted Falcone was the guitarist, and Steve DePace was the drums. They released a couple singles, and then in 1982 released their first full-length album called Album Generic Flipper on the Subterranean label. Two years later, they released the album Gone Fishing. They released some live material, and then broke up in 1987 after uh, original uh, member William Shatter died of a drug overdose. They spent three years apart and then reformed in 1990 with a new single. And in 1992, they signed to uh, Rick Rubin's Deaf American label and uh, ended up releasing the album we're reviewing, American Graffiti. Now, this was re- uh, John Doherty replaced uh, William Shatter, who had passed away from a drug overdose. Who uh, and then John Doherty ended up dying of a drug overdose a couple years later, as well as uh, founding member Ricky Williams, who uh, had been kicked out or who had left the band um, before they recorded. So, with the death of John Doherty, the band broke up again. Uh, They didn't. They ended up reforming in 2005, and Curse Novoselic of Nirvana ended up playing bass in the band. Uh, They played for a reunion show at CBGB's in August of 2005, and they continued into uh, playing live in 2006 um, and recorded an album called Love that was released in 2009. And then that was studio material, and they had a second live album called Fight that was released. The um, albums were produced by Jack and Dino. After that, Krishno Vasilich left the band, and the band has uh, carried on in various forms since then. And that is the abbreviated history of Flipper. If you would like to suggest an album for us to review, request uh, hit our request review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. For our Facebook feedback, we did get one piece of Facebook feedback, Jay. That's from Gavin Reed. He said, I've never heard of this album. How is it possible I have the other three albums and saw... The Love Tour, forgive my lack of punk rock cred and play this album now. So there you go, Jay. Uh, Gavin Reed, he knew the other albums. He knew uh, the first two on Subterranean, album, Generic Flipper, and Gone Fishing, and then he knew the most recent one. Hmm. But this one got lost in the shuffle. And that's uh, that's not... We'll get into it later, but that's not an uncommon response to this record in terms of it... Um, of getting lost in the amongst the other flipper albums so let's talk about american graffiti obviously a play on the uh movie american graffiti have you seen the american graffiti jay i'm not sure i feel like i've seen parts of it but uh i, I know the general premise have you seen american gladiators uh yes Many times. Let's work from there. Uh, American Graffiti. Ten tracks. Neither of us familiar with any of them. 
let's talk about this record. I actually took a little bit of a different approach when I was trying to get into this record, Jay. So this came out in 93, and I was thinking back to myself in college. 90, 92, 93 was my first year, I, fall of 92, spring of 93. And I was trying to imagine if I, because that was the first year I joined the radio station, and I was wondering if, what would have happened if this band, because they had just reunited, had ended up playing in like Toledo or something like that at a club, and people were like, oh, you got to go see them. This is a legendary punk band from the 80s. They just reformed. You got to go see them. I was like trying to get into that mindset of like, I wonder if myself back then would have reacted differently. Um, you know, having a much broader understanding of this band now, thanks to uh, reading about them because of the internet, I wouldn't have had the internet at that time to sort of, you know, get into the whole history of the band. All mm-hmm. I would have known was, you know, maybe to pick up a record and that would be it. In doing so, it gave me a sort of an interesting perspective because I, I think I'm not going with the what I liked, what I didn't like. I'm just going to jump into my overall sort of feelings about the record. I think going, this would probably would have, what? You're going old school. I'm going old school. That's how we used to do it. Yeah. I think this probably would have worked a lot better live for me mm. if I had walked into a room and heard this big, punishing, distorted bass. And these guys, hopefully, with this, you know, there's a there's a punk rock feel to this, even though there's a lot of slower tunes. And that was what they were known for, was being this sort of anti-punk punk band that pissed off a lot of punk rockers because they played slow. And that's where the you get the bands like Melvin's being influenced by this band. And I'm, I'm sure I would have been interested enough hearing those sounds that I wasn't familiar with to maybe go out and buy a CD or or, what, or a tape, I guess, at the time even. Um, but now listening to it, I hear, you know, with much greater perspective and depth, I guess a lot of the cracks that don't work as well when you're just listening to a pair of headphones, you know, whether it's in the... or driving in the car... Um, and that's mainly due to the fact that I think the songwriting has leaves a lot to be desired. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of cool tones with the, regards to the guitar or, or with the bass. Um, that's clue. I think that's the musical highlight of the band. Um, in a lot of instances, it overpowers the guitar. In terms of uh, you know my '93 self versus my 2014 self, I think that um, I would probably be arguing with myself from back then saying, no, this isn't quite as good as you remember it. Mm-hmm. Whereas my 93 self would probably be like, Oh my God, this is mind blowing. This is, these guys were so loud and awesome. So I'm curious if, uh, if you had any debates with yourself about the quality of this record, or if you easily swung one way or the other, I had debates. Uh, I wouldn't say it was with my former self. Although I will say that I don't know that I would be able to the the songs that I do appreciate on this record I don't think I would have been able to pr- uh, appreciate them then, um, and that is because the ones I like I heard a weird similarity to a band like the New York Dolls, mm-hmm. which I don't know if is apparent to I don't know if it was apparent to you or anybody else who listens to this band, but um, you know if there's a um, I suppose there's different schools of punk that this band is coming from and forms of inspiration. I think there's a, um, maybe a handful or less songs on here that 
are coming from that direction where it's a it's a it's a raggedness and a but it still has like a a swagger to it and an attitude that 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 band had and sort of a delivery um that's somewhat similar not you know they're not ripping them off in any way but just there's a melodic sense and sort of a rambling vocal or a spoken vocal at times and um some of the guitar playing um has some similarities to it I don't think I could have appreciated that because I wasn't familiar with that. Um, well, I wasn't familiar with the New York Dolls that much uh, in the '90s. Right. Um, that came a little bit later for me um, when I rediscovered that band. So those pieces may not have been put together for me to be able to appreciate the, the, those parts of the record. I think the rest of the record is uh, it doesn't quite make sense to me. Um, I hear a lot of the bass playing. Um, it's being actually very good and um, yeah, inspired by, at times I hear Geezer Butler um, in terms of there's a lot of like, um, a little bit in the tone, but l- l- more so in just like the bass lines and j- there's like this mo- tilt to do like minor um, stuff and just some of the little fills and things he puts in, little accents and stuff reminded me of. Um, kind of how Geezer Butler plays, um, mm-hmm. but they're sped up, you know, sometimes they're not in that same, like, obviously that dirge that the Sabbath plays in. Um, so if you took his bass lines and played them a, you know, a little bit faster, uh, I, I think that's for me where I heard a lot of the bass coming from. Um, the problem is, is that I just don't, the, for me, the guitar is not, it's not very good on this record and it's not, it's not creative um, at all. It doesn't do anything uh, to make the songs any better. Um, There's some songs on this record. I, I almost wish the guitar wasn't even there. Like I, I could just hear the, the bass vocal and drums and be fine with it not being there. Um, so that's the part that starts to not quite make sense to me. I, I think vocally it's, it's pretty, um, creative especially when they do i really like when they do the gang vocal or double vocal kind of thing yeah uh, on maybe 
there might be what maybe four songs, five songs where they do that. I think that's really effective. Um, I enjoy that quite a bit. Uh, and I think that combined with the bass playing, um, it, it is a pretty decent foundation. Uh, the guitar just does nothing to elevate the songs. And no. drum wise, it's okay. There's there's a lot of times in this record where it just feels like this band is not playing together. <laughs> you know, they're just kind of like everybody's doing their own thing for a moment. Um, sometimes that's okay. You know, I, I think there's on the more successful songs, it gives it like, a, you know, it gives it the attitude and just there's a roughness to it that's kind of charming and compelling. But for the majority of it, it just kind of makes it sound thin and amateurish. Yeah, and I'll say, I guess the last piece of criticism I have for it is that I feel like on almost all of these songs, there's a point in there where the even the band themselves sounds bored with the songs. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, they're clearly not playing to a click track or, you know what I mean? These are all... There's tons of warts, you know what I mean? You hear the bass player screw up. You hear the guitar player constantly screw up. You hear the drummer speed up and slow down or miss fills or what, you know, there's no attempt here to make this polished, which is fine, except that I feel like the songs are pretty repetitive and that style of play or repetitive songs in a studio where you're not maybe inspired. I just felt like halfway through the song, I'm like, man, these like they're bored with this song at this point. Like, why should I keep listening? <laughs> like they've lost their energy. They've gotten sloppier since the song started. And I'm not sure why I'm finishing listening to the song. Cause it's not going anywhere and they right. don't even care. <laughs> well, when I heard that this was a band that, you know, sort of skirted punk by playing loud and slow I was thinking of those like really dark, heavy Melvin's tracks and like, oh, okay, this is going to be like really evil sounding and dark and spooky. Mm -hmm. And it just sounds like you said, bored. Like they sound like they're bored on a lot of the tracks. And and I think the tracks that actually work best for me um, is like track two, Flipper Twist. Like it has that like New York Dolls kind of feel like you're mentioning with that. Oh, oh, oh you know, gang vocal thing that's going mm-hmm. on. And the same thing with, um, to a lesser extent with may the truth be known. No, no, I'm sorry. We're not crazy. Track four has this sort of like black mm-hmm. flag kind of feel to it. Those parts work because there's an energy to the song and they keep them relatively condensed. Whereas when they get into a song that's four and a half or five minutes long, that doesn't have that same vocal energy. And it's just him sort of. Bruce Luce has like this. He can do an interesting shout, but sometimes there's just no melody behind it. It's just him ranting and raving. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't go anywhere. 
And it, at times, like on Flipper Twist, he reminded me of um, the lead singer of The Hives. Had that same sort oh, of like manic yeah, energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't place the band. There was a couple lines where I was like, God, that sounds like somebody. And I could not place it. Yeah, yeah. that's what it is. And I appreciate that sort of condensed, simplistic vocal melody that's, you know, essentially pop, but with a lot of darkness behind it. And they just don't touch on that enough. Um, and I think that's why this record is, I mentioned earlier, is kind of overlooked in the flipper discography, is that it's just seen as this one-off sort of reunion um, I don't know. I think it was kind of a cash in, you know, they got signed to American recordings. It's the heyday of alternative bands getting snatched up. And this was a legendary punk band and Rick Rubin wanted to produce them. So I don't know if, it, I don't know if they were, they got a lot of money for this or not, but it doesn't sound like they spent a lot of time on the songs. Now that's, I'm saying that not having listened to the first two records. So it might all sound like this and I just might not be getting the point, but I kind of feel like if I went back to those early records, I'd probably hear something a little bit stronger than what I'm hearing on this record. Or at least I hope I would. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, every song starts with a bass riff, too. Do you notice yep. that? Every single one. <laughs> when you sample the record, if you listen to the first 10 seconds, it's pretty comical. Do, do, do you agree about the guitar playing? Like, oh, it's, it's just mailed in. Like You could have two bass players. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this could be Girls Against Boys because... You don't even need a, a guitar player for this band. Yeah, it really adds nothing. Um, he's either playing the same thing as the bass player or just making... It's not even noise in a cool way. It's just like fat fingering chords and... You know, just... Um, I mean, sometimes when it when it approaches on working, I, I, they, I think they double the guitar or the bass guitar so similar it almost gets like that Rolling Stones kind of like, you know bouncing effect where things are loose but they're panned and Mm -hmm. in some weird way it all works and comes together there's moments where that happens but it feels more as an accident not on purpose and i think that has more to do with the type of song that it is and the songwriting being better um than it does with the guitar performance being um you know remarkable in any way i just feel like the the guitar playing almost is irrelevant Mm-hmm. to the band and that's unfortunate because i think that there's an opportunity to do a lot of cool things with the guitars with how much space there is but there's just there's just nothing there i don't know if that's to just to the way that it's mixed and the way that rick rubin wanted it to sound or if it's just the ability of the guitar player but it just does not do anything for the listener Rick Rubin pr- produced this. Yep. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Huh. He's just the producer. That's uh, that's puzzling. Mm-hmm. And I, I always think I don't know. Is he a? I guess I think of him as being a fairly demanding producer, but maybe he's not. I guess he's not because the brat, the knock on that Metallica album is that that he produced. He was wasn't even involved like they just sent him tapes and he'd just be like okay that's cool which one uh the death magnetic or whatever see i kind i like that record no i don't think that's a bad record i'm just saying like i just remember those stories of like what his producer role was on that and essentially 
I don't even think he was in the studio. I think they would just bring him stuff, <laughs> which may, lends me to think that, you know, he's more passive in terms of his approach to, to uh, producing. Gotcha. In, in terms of like, I don't know, just feel, this feeling like not energetic, which I think is the whole point, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> they should have an urgency to it. And there's, I think some of the songs start off that way. And then halfway through, it's just sort of like, I don't know. I don't know if it's just me projecting my boredom on the band, but <laughs> I just don't feel like they're they're that into it. No, and even Flipper Twist goes on probably too long. I mean, it's like four minutes and fifty seconds, and it could probably be three minutes and fifty seconds. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know what Rick Rubin was doing with this, but he, I don't know why he would put a stamp of approval on it to both produce it and to put it on his own label, because I would say over half the record is falls into like un not unlistenable, but just pointless. It just, what? it just is utterly derivative of whatever they were trying to do that just doesn't sound good fish references i'm just looking through like other album covers have fish on them and like this has fish in the title and their second album is called gone fishing and i don't know jay <laughs> it's a weird thing they have a live album called nuremberg fish trials fish references clearly they saw a pun they could run with <laughs> so Ooh, okay there you go. Is it difficult? Do you think, you know, there are a lot of legendary bands from you know, any point in time. But when, you know, this was a band whose prime was really early 80s. Yeah. You know, 82 and 84 in terms of right. their release. Um, fortunately, we only have one option for, for a 90s, you know, review. Right. You know, for a band like that, is it even fair to, I don't know, put them up against, you know, 93, you know, this is, how is this expected to sell? First right. Right. In the, in the, in the period of Pearl Jam and Nirvana and, and those bands, and then the, the punk bands you're dealing with are like, not anywhere near this. I mean, you got Green Day coming out of the, basically the same scene, the San Francisco and yet they're not they're playing a completely different brand of punk. There's no way that someone who is listening to Green Day is like, "Oh, another San Francisco punk band. I'll go check them out." Right. And is going to get the same thing out of it. Right. 
I think it was more of like, hey, they're coming up in ref- uh, interviews with Nirvana and the Melvins and what have you, Jane's Addiction, and let's get there, get a record out because people will be going looking for this band. You know what I mean? Or, you know, some some uh, sales by association, maybe. Right. But I guess, I mean, this came out, when did it come out? 93? Yeah. So that would have even been kind of, er- well, it would have been a pretty, I don't know. That seems like maybe if that was the case, though, it wouldn't have come out until a little bit later. But yeah, I don't know. I, it doesn't, I guess I want to hear the earlier stuff. You know, I can't. Yeah. I'd have to think that the the earlier 80s stuff is is much makes you can kind of hopefully appreciate it better. Um I keep thinking of a band like like Gang of Four though. Like, Cuz didn't they do did they do a record in the 90s? Yeah, they've reunited off and on over time. But it's always like and... I, I feel like it's them, right? I mean, it's not like you may like the earlier records better or whatever, but like I felt like I've listened to the later records here and there, and I've always felt like, okay, that sounds like them. Like, I get it. Right. I get what this band's about. And, you know, aside from production, you know, it pretty much sounds like the same band from the early 80s for the most part. And I get how they influenced the bands they influenced, and it all makes sense. Um, Listen to this record. I don't get it yet. (laughs) Yeah. Let's talk about our rating for overall were the album better EP decent single? Uh, Jay, where do you stand on this record? I could probably give it an EP. The the songs that you uh, mentioned were the exact same ones I had. Um, just to be clear, I had uh, Flipper Twist, We're Not Crazy, Exist or Else, and Telephone. So I think with those four songs, they'd hold together and, and carry that um, sort of that early... 70s late 60s punky uh, glammy kind of thing um you know with a swagger and attitude kind of put a, a little darker twist on that and be pretty be fairly interesting i'm gonna have to be a little tougher i'm gonna go with a single decent Oof. single and i'm gonna go flipper twist and we're not crazy there you go so that's that when's the last time you did a single Oh, it's been a long time. It has. Yeah. Hmm. I can't I can't even tell you when the last time I gave a single was. We actually need to keep track of that <laughs> on our ratings so we can uh, go back. Because I'd probably be wrong if I went back on some records. Be like, oh, I definitely gave that an EP when I, accident, when I may have actually said full length or other way around. Who knows? Well, that's it. That's our review of Flipper. Uh, no fish puns uh, coming up in my brain at this moment. Hopefully, or maybe something will come up soon. Uh, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. Uh, next week, it's the big one. Dig Me Out turns 200. 200th episode. If you haven't got your feedback in, get it in soon, because uh, we're going to be recording and talking about Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 by Guns N' Roses. Jay, you psyched? I am. I think it'll be fun. Cool. Be prepared to talk five minutes about each song. (laughs) 
We're going four <laughs> hours on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I still have not gotten a callback from Axel, so Weird. he's listening. He needs to get back soon so we can get scheduled. Thanks, <laughs> Axel. Maybe he'll he'll put an angry uh, tirade on his next album about us in thirty years from now, whenever that album comes out. What's the what's the song on Usual Illusion about the critics about? Oh, uh, 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 get in the ring. Get in the ring. Maybe we can. There'll be one dedicated to dig me out. That'd be great. Dare to dream. Nice to Dare to dream. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back next week with the big two hundredth episode. Dig me out. Join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com, where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed, as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages. This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review American for Fishy. Blah, blah, blah.